Uh, well, as Sybil just said, my name is Tony Boscarino, if we haven't met before. I am one of the pastors here. Anthony has gone this week on vacation with his family, which gives me the incredible opportunity to close out our series on Ruth. If you haven't been with us, the book of Ruth is an incredible story, one that you could almost read like a play. And as we come to the final scene today, chapter 4, I want to recap what's happened in this story so far. So chapter 1 sets the scene for what's going to happen. It really sets the stage for the story. And if you remember, Naomi and her husband, Elimelech, when faced with famine, have left their own country of Judah and gone to live in Moab. Moab was a foreign country with people that worshipped a different god. While they were there, devastation falls on the family. Like Naomi's husband died, her two sons die, and she is left with these two daughters-in-law. Now, Naomi hears that the famine is over. She wants to head back to Bethlehem, where she's from. One daughter-in-law says, I'm staying in Moab. The other one says, I'm going to follow you wherever you go the rest of your life. And that daughter-in-law is Ruth. Now, at this point, Naomi feels like the Lord is just completely against her, that God has wrecked her life. That's what she feels. She has no husband, no kids, no money. Um, she actually says in chapter 1 that I went away full, but the Lord has brought me back empty. And so chapter 1 ends in this really rough place. You have two desperate and vulnerable women who have gone through incredible tragedy, and it just seems like their life is horrible at this point. It's not how they wanted it to go, and the future looks very bleak. That's chapter 1. Chapter 2, there's a shift. Things begin to shift. Naomi and Ruth, like I said, they have absolutely nothing, so Ruth decides to go and follow behind these harvesters to pick up the scraps for her and her mother-in-law, and she just so happens to work in a field by the name of Boaz. Now, Boaz was a, a good and godly man, and he's also one of Naomi's relatives. So this line, just so happened, like she just so happened to find Boaz's field, is a hint to all of us, the reader, that God might be up to something, that God is working behind the scenes. And if you've been here the last few weeks, that's what Anthony's been saying. God is always working behind the scenes for his glory and for our good. So then chapter 2, there's like this flicker of hope that begins to grow, that maybe God has a plan for these two widowed and struggling women, and maybe that plan involves this good and godly man named Boaz. Chapter 3 was last week, and here things really pick up. Naomi devises this plan to connect Ruth and Boaz in marriage. And in this inter interesting interaction between Boaz and Ruth, Ruth, in a roundabout way, actually asks Boaz to marry her, that he would be her kinsman redeemer. That's a rule we're going to talk about later this morning, but for now we'll just say that it was um, something that God had written into their law to protect and provide for widowed women, but there was an order to how things were supposed to work, okay? So Boaz asks, uh, Ruth asks Boaz, he's overjoyed, he gets to marry Ruth, but immediately there's like this tension, like any good story, right? Boaz definitely wants to marry Ruth, but he isn't the closest option to fill the role of redeemer. There's someone else who has that right. And it's like the plot thickens, you know, like dun-dun-dun. 
And that's where chapter 3 left us off last week on this huge cliffhanger. Like Boaz commits to speak with that closest relative, and he's going to do it the next morning, and that brings us to where we are today. And so it's like, chapter 4, what will happen? Will Boaz marry Ruth? Will we have a happy ending? Let's find out. So in your Bibles, Ruth, chapter 4, that's where we're going to be. As you're finding it, I'm going to pray. Heavenly Father, in the name of Jesus, God, I thank you for your word. I thank you for the truth that is in it that reveals to us who you are and also who we are to you. Father, I pray, Lord, that as we open up Ruth this morning and end this beautiful story, that our hearts would be open to hear from you, God, exactly what you want to say to us through it. And Lord, I also know that no one's life will be touched, changed, or transformed if it's just me speaking up here. There has to come power from your Holy Spirit to touch our hearts, to speak life and truth. And so I just humbly ask that you would do that this morning. God, have your way in all of us, in Jesus' name. Amen. So Ruth chapter 4, we're going to work all the way through this story. We're going to start in verse 1. Chapter 4, verse 1. Now Boaz had gone up to the gate and sat down there. And behold, the Redeemer of whom Boaz had spoken came by. So Boaz said, Turn aside, friend, sit down here. And he turned aside and sat down. And he took ten men of the elders of the city and said, Sit down here. So they sat down. Stop there real quick for some background. So in ancient cities, the town gate was usually a short passageway through really thick walls. And often there were small alcoves, like you can see in this picture, that lined that passage. Now, this is where, something similar to where Boaz would have been sitting. Now, the whole gate area and these alcoves were used in ancient times for people to gather. They would buy and sell there. They would settle legal matters. They would even gossip when I was researching. I was hearing it's kind of like a place where everyone went to know what was going on in town. And so if you wanted to know what was happening, that's where you went. So lots of people are always passing through. And just as Boaz expected, here comes the kinsman redeemer. So we have Boaz, the kinsman redeemer, and these 10 elders from the city. Why are they there? Well, several elders were present to be witnesses to what was about to happen because during this time, there were very few written records of transactions. And so having numeral, uh, numerable witnesses there would make the transaction legal and secure. So that's setting up where we're at. Back to verse 3. Then he said to the Redeemer, Naomi, who has come back from the country of Moab, is selling the parcel of land that belonged to our relative Elimelech. So I thought I'd tell you of it and say, buy it in the presence of those sitting here and in the presence of the elders of my people. If you'll redeem it, redeem it. But if you will not, tell me that I may know, for there is no one besides you to redeem it, and I come after you. And he said, I will redeem it. Okay, let's stop here again. What we have to understand is that redemption is a major theme in the book of Ruth. You're going to see it over and over again, this idea of a kinsman redeemer. They're talking about, will you redeem it? Will you not redeem it? You're going to see this over and over again. And so very simply, to redeem, here's an easy definition. It means to deliver by paying a price or to free from bondage. So we're thinking about redeem and and redemption. It means to deliver by paying a price or to free from bondage. So what Boaz is specifically getting at here is something called the redemption of property, which was a stipulation that was written into their law from Leviticus 25. You don't have to turn there, I'll have it on the screen, but it says this. If your brother becomes poor 
and sells part of his property, then his nearest redeemer shall come and redeem what his brother sold. So what this was, it was the way that God had instituted in the law for family members to take care of each other, which would allow the land to stay within a certain family line. And so right off the bat, if you're taking notes, you're taking this in, what we need to get is that redemption is costly. Redemption is always costly. It required that the kinsman redeemer would give of his resources to redeem the land. So to buy the land, it was going to cost him money. So knowing the law and the redeemer has the money, he was thinking like any good Nebraskan farmer being offered more land. He said, yeah, I'll take it. I want it. Give it to me. I'll buy it. But, not so fast. There's more. Verse 5. Verse 5, then Boaz said, The day you buy the field from the hand of Naomi, you also acquire Ruth, the Moabite, the widow of the dead, in order to perpetuate the name of the dead in his inheritance. Now, okay, this changes things a little bit. What's Boaz doing here? Boaz is, again, he's a righteous man. He's going back to their law. And he's quoting this idea from Deuteronomy 25, this idea of Levite marriage, which again, we'll have it on the screen. It says, If brothers are living together and one of them dies without a son, his widow must not marry outside of the family. Her husband's brother shall take her and marry her and fulfill the duty of a brother-in-law to her. Now listen to this part. The first son she bears shall carry on the name of the dead, of the dead brother, so that his name will not be blotted out from Israel. This is the idea that he would have to take responsibility for Ruth and that a son that she would carry would have the name of her first husband. And that really changes things for this man because look what he says in verse 6. His response, once he hears this, he says, Then the Redeemer said, I cannot redeem it for myself, and here's the point, lest I impair my own inheritance. Take my right of redemption yourself, for I cannot redeem it. So at first, when it was just about the land, he said, oh yeah, I want more land. Now when you're throwing in this other lady and having a kid and living on for the name of the dead, uh, that changes things. So what exactly is he thinking, right? When I was researching this passage, I came across this quote from a biblical scholar named Herbert Bess. What he said is, he... The closest kinsman redeemer must have reasoned that in order to buy Naomi's land, he would have to invest a part of the value of his own estate or inheritance. Then, should he father a child of Ruth's, that son would become heir of the land, which he bought with the money from his own estate. So essentially, he's realizing that he wouldn't actually get these extra acres for himself and his own little family unit, but that the son that Ruth would have would actually get them. So for this guy, he's thinking, there's really no benefit in this for me. He would have to put out the money for the land coming out of his own estate, and he would get nothing in return. It would be more of a sacrifice. And remember again, redemption is costly. So put very simply, he didn't want to redeem Ruth because it would cost him too much. He wasn't willing to pay the price or make the sacrifice. So what he says in that scripture is, I cannot do it. I actually think in reality it was more like, I will not do it because he was looking out for himself, caring too much about his own estate and inheritance to fulfill what God was asking of him. It just costs too much. So he relinquishes his right to the property and turns down the obligation to take care of his family. 
And what's important to note here is that it wasn't just like a choice that he had. He was legally obligated under their law to redeem his family. And to not, re- not redeem your family was seen as this horrible, shameful thing in Israel. So that's who this guy is. And contrast that with Boaz. Like, Boaz had no legal obligation to fill this role, but he desired to step in and fill it anyway and redeem them. So let's see what happens. Verse 7. Now this was the custom in former times in Israel concerning redeeming and exchanging. To confirm a transaction, the one drew off his sandal and gave it to the other. And this was the manner of attesting in Israel. So when the Redeemer said to Boaz, buy it for yourself, he drew off his sandal. Now that's not necessarily the way that we do things today, right? Um, But back then, what that essentially means is what was mine is now yours. And him giving over his sandal is saying that the ground that I used to own, that I used to walk on, is now yours. You own it. You're free to walk on it. That's yours. And so that's what's going on there. Let's keep going. Verse 9. Then Boaz said to the elders and all the people, You are witnesses this day that I have bought from the hand of Naomi all that belonged to Elimelech and all that belonged to Chilion and to Malon. Also Ruth the Moabite, the widow of Malon, I have bought to be my wife, to perpetuate the name of the dead in his inheritance, that the name of the dead may not be cut off from among his brothers and from the gate of his native place. You are witnesses today, this day. So again, whereas the closer redeemer was selfish, giving up his responsibility to redeem, Boaz here is selfless, putting the needs of Naomi and Ruth before his own, desiring to carry on the name of Ruth's deceased husband, even at the risk of how it may impact him personally. He was in the same position as the first redeemer, but Boaz was willing to risk his own estate to fulfill this role. He knew the cost of redeeming Ruth, and he was willing to pay the cost of redemption. And so let's finish out this story. In verse 11, Then all the people who were at the gate and the elders said, We are witnesses. Did you see it's interesting It's there? It says like, all the people who are at the gate and the elders. So now it's not just the elders. We've got a bunch of people that are watching what's going down here. We are witnesses. May the Lord make the woman who is coming into your house like Rachel and Leah, who together built up the house of Israel. May you act worthily in Ephrathah and be renowned in Bethlehem. And may your house be like the house of Perez, whom Tamar bore to Judah because of the offspring that the Lord will give you by this young woman. So there's a lot of things in there, and based on your experience with the Bible, you may not have any idea what's going on. What are we talking about? So let me just explain it. Boaz redeems her, and the people, they first bless Ruth. This once poor, widowed foreigner now is compared to Rachel and Leah, who were the matriarchs of Israel. Like from those two women came the 12 tribes of Israel. Those are like the most famous women in all the history of Israel, and these people are saying, may she be like that. Quite a transformation from poor, foreign widow to among the greatest of any of the women we've ever had in all of our history, right? That's what's happening. Boaz is also blessed by the people that he would be this man of renown, that he would be this great man, and that the reunion that he has with Ruth would be fruitful. That's where the whole Judah and Tamar thing comes in. Uh, That was a similar situation, and it was fruitful, and the Lord blessed it. And they're saying that God would please bless this union that you have with Ruth. Verse 13. So Boaz took Ruth and she became his wife. 
He went to her, and the Lord gave her conception, and she bore a son. Then the women said to Naomi, Blessed be the Lord, who has not left you this day without a Redeemer, and may his name be renowned in Israel. He shall be to you a restorer of life and a nourisher of your old age. For your daughter-in-law who loves you, who is more to you than seven sons, has given birth to him. The idea of seven sons was like the perfect ideal family that the Lord would bless someone with because that family line would go on and on and on forever because they got tons of boys, right? And they're saying, this daughter-in-law that was so hard in the beginning has now made you so incredibly blessed, more than seven sons. Okay, verse 16. Then Naomi took the child and laid him on her lap and became his nurse. And the women of the neighborhood gave him a name, saying, A son has been born to Naomi. They named him Obed. He was the father of Jesse, the father of David. So Booth, uh, Booth, <laughs> Boaz and Ruth, that's what I was trying to say, um, like a Brad and Angelina type thing, or whatever. Uh, Boaz and Ruth, let's go with that. Boaz and Ruth get married, and she gets pregnant on her wedding day, and they have a baby, little baby Obed, who becomes a redeemer to Naomi. Again, the mother-in-law, the once empty, bitter woman, now shines as blessed before the Lord, holding this child that would be to her, as it says, a restorer and a nourisher for her in her old age. And this is not just any child, but this is a child who would be in the line of King David, And if you don't know, he was Israel's great leader. Scripture says that he was a man that was after God's own heart. And the Lord would use David to turn the hearts of the people back to him. But the story doesn't just stop there. There are a few more verses of Ruth. And it's really a genealogy to prove that David came from that family line. But what's interesting is that that same genealogy is also mentioned in Matthew chapter 1. So let's throw this up on the screen real quick. You can see... Same names here in Ruth as we have in Matthew. What's incredible about that is Matthew chapter 1 is the genealogy that leads to Jesus. So out of this incredible redemption between Ruth and Boaz comes Jesus, the Son of God, the Savior of the world. If you were to read down further in Matthew 1, you would see us get to Jesus. And so this redemption really just leads us to our Redeemer in Jesus. And what's so awesome about this is that it's not just, you know, that Jesus uh, is our Redeemer and he came from this redemption, but that in many ways, the redemption that we see between um, Boaz and Ruth (laughs) is really a foreshadowing of the redemption that every single one of us have in Christ if we have surrendered to Jesus as our Lord and Savior. So, What I want to do as we close out the series is just kind of look back through how does their redemption point to our redemption that we have in Christ. So first of all, think about Ruth and Naomi. They needed a redeemer to redeem the land and to carry on the family line. What's important about that is that they were completely powerless to do that on their own. So the Lord, in his perfect providence, made the connection to the good man named Boaz so that he would redeem them. And we have to see ourselves in this situation too. Every one of us actually are like Ruth and Naomi. I don't know if you put yourself in their shoes throughout this whole story yet, but we are like them. Because apart from a redeemer stepping in, we are completely powerless to redeem ourselves. 
to save ourselves, to be set free from this constant you know, feeling, desire, bondage to sin. We have absolutely no shot at eternal, this eternal inheritance with God in heaven if a redeemer does not step in. And so also, God in his perfect love and timing sent his son Jesus for us. I love how Galatians 4.4 puts it. It says this, But when the fullness of time had come, God in his perfect timing, God sent forth his son, born of woman, born under the law, to redeem those under the law, so that we might receive adoption as sons. God redeems us. He brings us into his family to be adopted as his children. There's a shift here that's taking place. And it's similar to how Ruth's redemption um, brought her into a new family with Boaz that no longer, you know, like in the beginning, she was this worker in the field that was picking up scraps. She goes from that through her redemption to now, I'm married to the man that owns everything. That is a huge shift within her life. And as we're redeemed in Christ, we go from this outsider who's always like trying to work really hard, trying to be good enough, trying to do everything we can, to one who can just rest in the security of the love of a father who loves us absolutely intensely, knowing that all the work, all the striving has been done by Jesus on the cross. There is nothing left for us to do to be in a right relationship with him. And speaking of the cross, it goes back to this idea that we've been talking about, that redemption is always costly. It cost Boaz to redeem Ruth. He redeemed the land, carried on the family line by purchasing the land out of his own money, his own estate, his own resources. But Jesus bought us and redeemed us with the precious blood of Jesus upon the cross. 1 Peter 18 says it like this. You were ransomed, not with perishable things such as silver or gold, but with the precious blood of Jesus Christ. Not with things of this earth, the perishable things, but with the most beautiful thing, the precious blood of Jesus Christ. You know, oh, precious is the flow that makes me white as snow. No other fouts I know, nothing but the blood of Jesus. The other thing we see in their redemption is that Ruth and Naomi found new life in their redemption. Their situation was changed their status was changed, their outlook on life completely shifts from chapter 1 to chapter 4. We go from death to life. Like, think about it. Think about what happened. Like, Ruth got married. The land stayed within the family. Uh, a baby was born. Naomi got to be a grandmother. And likewise, through our redemption with Christ, our situation also changes, and we need to understand that at a heart level. Because of our redemption through Jesus, we are standing in a right relationship with God forever, all time. We're made new creations, that the old us is gone. Tony number one, gone. Tony number two, shining with the righteousness of Christ for all eternity. We've been completely forgiven, completely set free from all shame, and we have this inheritance in heaven that we will never lose, and that's what we have in Jesus. But I want to say this, because this is important. Our situation changes big picture. We're with the Lord. We have his presence in our lives. But it doesn't always mean that things will work out in this life exactly how we want them to or even the way that it worked out for Ruth. And I think it's important for us to understand that. We need to realize that we are not the ones that are writing our stories. 
God is writing our stories. Through the book of Ruth, you see this providence of the Lord over all things. We definitely have a role to play, but the pen is in God's hand for our lives. At the beginning of Ruth, think back to that. Everything was horrible. There was death, there was devastation, there was destruction, there was famine. Had Ruth and Naomi been writing their own stories, I'm very sure that that part would not have been in there. But God was up to something. And I just want to say that there may be seasons of all of our lives where the season that we're sitting in is not one that we would have chosen at all. But the truth is that God is working through us and in us for a greater purpose, his purposes in the world. Like my wife, Jess, um, she shared with me yesterday about Isaiah 55, where God just says that his ways are higher than ours. His thoughts are higher than our thoughts. And that same idea is seen throughout Ruth, that we don't always understand what God is doing. I mean, his thinking is so much higher. He understands things in a way that we don't. He sees the beginning from the end. That is who our God is. And so even in the midst of a really difficult season in our lives, we can go back to the fact that, God, I know you're great. I know what you're doing. I know you're going to accomplish your purposes. And our role is really to stay faithful and to keep going. So going back to the idea of writing the own story, like many of us would love to end up like Ruth. You know, it's like there's a perfect little bow on the end of this story. Once this poor and vulnerable widow now resting secure in the arms of her good, kind, and rich husband. Or being Naomi, sitting as a nurse to her grandson, a blessing that she would have never thought was possible in the really hard years. Now, the truth is that that may be the way our story ends, or it may, be, or may not be the way our story ends on this earth. We may or may not get what we think we want, but the truth is, and this is a real truth, that fullness and lasting peace are not found in like getting married or having kids or grandkids or even being married to some rich person with lots of money. That's not where full, lasting, true, real peace comes from. That can only come from knowing Jesus, knowing that we are fully loved by the creator of all things, the one who is, the one who will always be, the Lord who knows all things, over all things, almighty, powerful, that incredible God loves us who didn't deserve it, could never be worthy of it, and he's given us this promise that I'm never going to leave you nor forsake you. And we also have to look to eternity, you know, this idea that, you know, we're walking on this earth and... Um, Things may not always go the way that we desire, but the Lord says that we have these light momentary problems that you know, are, are setting us up for this eternal glory that will go on forever and ever in a place where there's no sickness, dying, pain, tears, anything. So as Christians, we hope that the Lord will work in incredible ways in our lives. We pray, we ask, and then ultimately we surrender it down to him, knowing that this life is not all there is, that there, through the redemption of Jesus, is so much more on the other side. And that's the truth, but it's really hard to swallow that sometimes. Like, let's just be honest. It's hard. Um, you know, Jess and I, my wife and I, we have had things um, that we would have loved to happen in our lives. Um, you know, one thing many of you guys know, Jess and I have been praying for kids for years and years and years. We tried to do lots of different things. Um, God has not opened that door yet. And so then for us, it's like, God, please, I pray in the name of Jesus, you provide that baby for us in our lives. But ultimately, Lord, like, 
Jess and I come together, we just like surrender. Like, God, we do trust you. We know that there is a plan. We know that you're with us. And Lord, just keep revealing your goodness and your presence to us, even in the midst of this. And you may have things like that in your own life too. But through Jesus and his redemption, we have this idea that he is always with us, walking with us. And it really comes down to us just, again, stating our surrender and our trust in God, that he has a plan, that he's working, and that he really is good. So, where are you today? Uh, My first question to you is probably the most important one. Have you been redeemed by Jesus? Really? Like, I'm under no, like, you know, this uh, false idea that everyone here is a Christian. So, really, have you surrendered to Jesus, said, I believe in you, you're the Son of God, I trust you, I live my life for you, my life is in your hands. If you have never, like, you know, received that incredible gift, I pray today is the day that Ruth's redemption story would lead towards your redemption story. And so if that's you, like, please reach out to someone that we can just pray with you and you can start this situation where, like, really your eternity is sealed. Secondly, I want to ask, maybe you're sitting here, are you sitting here today and just struggling through a really hard season where life just seems to be absolutely falling apart, like Ruth chapter 1. I feel like things are not going how I wanted, I'm not getting what I want, I lost what I thought I wanted. Are you sitting in that place? And if that's you, what I want to challenge you to do this week is to tell him like, how hard things are. Like, Be honest, open your heart up to God and say, God, this is what's going on in my life. Like, This is how I feel about what you're doing, or this is how I feel about what you're not doing. And just be really honest before him and lay that down before him. And then after that, just surrender your life again into his hands. Like, God is the one with the pen. Give him the pen and say, Lord, like, you can do whatever you want with my life. But reveal to me the goodness of the promise that you're with me no matter what happens. And if that's you, I'd also just encourage you to reach out to others. Like, we're supposed to walk through this Christian life together to encourage each other to the truth of keep going with Jesus. And lastly, maybe this is um, a season where you're more like, chapter four, things are, things are great for me in my life. And if that's you, I would really want to challenge you just to pray and say, God, like, who around me can you use uh, me in their lives and part of their redemption story, you know? Like, we have a role as followers of Christ to help people find Jesus and grow in life in him. And so I'd say, hey, if we're sitting in a good place today, like, Lord, who can you bring into my life that I can help them find you, help them find true redemption in Jesus? Um, you know, God is writing the story, but oftentimes we get to play a role in that, and that would be my prayer for you. As we close this book of Ruth, we remember that God is a God who loves his people intensely. He's going after them. He's redeeming them. He's doing what they could never do, and God does that for us in Jesus. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, in the name of Jesus, Lord, I just thank you for who you are. I thank you for the real truth that your presence is enough for us in our lives. God, um, I do pray, Lord, I just pray that you do miraculous things. I pray that you would open doors that only you can open. I pray that you would just bless our lives. But at the same time, Lord, I pray that you would give us hearts of surrender, no matter if you're answering everything or we're in a hard season right now. I pray that you would give us just a heart and a desire to want to know you, to walk with you, to love you, to embrace the goodness of you in our lives, and to really let you lead. And Father, I'm just so thankful 
that ultimately we know that with you, our eternity is sealed and we look forward to that day, God, where there's no pain, sickness, dying, tears, envy, insecurity, sadness, all that is washed away. We look towards that day because we have it fully in Jesus and in his redemption. Pray this in Jesus' name. Amen.